Today we are focusing on the first church. And the fourth passion of a church devoted to Christ. Prayer. As soon as you hear that, you might think, well, I don't pray enough. I should probably just go and pray right now. Or you might start beating yourself up and say, you know what, I, I, I'm lame in prayer. I, I can't do it. I'm, it. I don't want to. I don't love to. Maybe I'll just give up. Maybe, maybe you come to this and you say, prayer is so sweet in my life. It, it's, my, it's my lifeline. It's like breathing. We're in the book of Acts. You're going to want to find Acts chapter 2 in your Bibles. And I'm going to read the word. I'm going to ask you to stand if you're able. I'm going to read Acts 2, 41 to 47. So please stand. This is the Word of God. We need the Word of God. We start with the Word of God. We are dependent on the Holy Spirit to use the Word of God in our lives. Acts 2.41 So those who received His Word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so needy. Lord God, we're so dependent. Lord God, I, we trust you by your spirit that you would take your word and change us. It wouldn't just affect our heart, it would affect our household and it would affect your household, your church, your bride. That it would affect the world. We pray in the name of Jesus and for your glory. Amen. Before we dive in here, I want to, I want to give you a recap of where we have been in Acts so far. So if you're new to Grace Orange, this will be a really good um, Catch up. It'll, it'll get you up to speed. Now you can go back and, and listen to the sermons online. There are 12 of them so far. But if you've been here the whole time, this should be a really good review. We started at verse 1 of chapter 1. Verses 1 through 3, we saw that Luke is picking up the story where he left off at the end of his gospel after the resurrection. The story of Christ's work continuing. 
Verses 4 through 11 of chapter 1, we saw the witnesses being called. Christ's work through his witnesses for his sovereign purposes are continuing on. And we saw that verse 8 is the key verse of the entire book of Acts. Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And it really frames the outline of the book of Acts. First 13 chapters, all about the, the witness and worship in, around the Jerusalem area. Chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, we saw them actively waiting in the upper room. They were waiting for what Jesus had promised. They're praying, fellowshipping. They have one mind. They're united. They're searching the scriptures, and they're waiting on Jesus to do what he had promised to do. He's going to send the Spirit. He said, not many days from now. He knew it was coming. Chapter 1, verses 15 through 26, we saw them choosing Matthias in accordance with God's will and his plan. They sought in the Old Testament scriptures, and they acted in faith, trusting God to lead them to the right replacement for Judas. And they filled out the number of the twelve. And then we spent two weeks in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, and talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And how Christ promised to send the Holy Spirit upon his people was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit came powerfully upon the believers and empowered them for worship and witness where they were and then to the ends of the earth. We spent three weeks after that in Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 41 and Peter's Pentecostal preaching. We're on the day of Pentecost in response to the mocking of some in the crowd as to what God had brought about on that day, he stands up humbly, boldly, authoritatively, and he preaches the gospel of the grace of God in Christ. He explained the phenomena of the day of Pentecost with the word of God. He explains the scriptures. He exalts Christ. He exalts the Lord Jesus Christ. And he very clearly exposed their sins. And then he calls them to repent. He calls them to believe in Jesus. He says, repent of your sins. Turn to Jesus. He wanted them to turn to Jesus for mercy and forgiveness and eternal life. If you're here today and you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, then that's what you have done. You've, you've turned from your sins. You've repented of your sins. And you placed your faith in Jesus Christ. You believe that Jesus lived and died and when he died and he shed his blood he was doing that as a as a vicarious substitutionary atonement in your place on the cross and he was buried and he rose from the dead on the third day and he's promised to come back and you've placed your faith in Jesus and you've you've come to him for mercy and for grace and for forgiveness and and guess what you're part of that same church that Jesus birthed on the day of Pentecost when 3,000 people of all ages, by the way, Peter said the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, whoever God will bring to himself, call to himself. And whoever God accepts into his church, 
we are called to, to in, in local assemblies, be together as the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. We are literally a building that God is building. Living stones, as First Peter put it. Built up into a holy, holy temple to, to give praise to God. Now, for the past three weeks, we've been in Acts chapter 2, verses 41 to 47, the first church. We're looking at the first church. And we're looking at the four passions of a church devoted to Christ. And we've seen the first three. The first time we looked at was the apostles' teaching. And what it meant was that they were teaching and preaching the word of God. The people were, were, were into the word. They were studying the word. They, they had a view to obey Christ. It wasn't, hey, I'm going to get a lot of facts about the Bible. It was, I love Jesus. I need the word of God. I want to do what he says. In his strength. Teaching and preaching and studying of the word of God with a view to obeying Jesus Christ. Because we have a sin problem, and it's very pronounced. And really, no one needs to tell anybody that they have a sin problem, because we all know, because we live with ourselves. Right? We know. God knows better than us, but we know. We, got, we have a sin problem. We need the Word of God. We don't, when we gather, we don't need to hear anything that's going to, to not point us to the righteousness of God in Christ. So we need biblical sound, biblical teaching. I mentioned when we talked about this that if you want God's word to stick in your life, you got to stick to the word of God. And I shared Psalm 119, verse 31, which speaks of a receptivity to the word. The psalmist cries out to God and says, I cling to your testimonies. O Lord. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. So we looked at the apostles' teaching that we got to be in the Word of God and then the fellowship. There's a word that we throw around very lightly in Christian circles. We're like, hey, I was talking to some Christians the other day about how UCLA hammered Arizona. We were fellowshipping. I was talking to some brothers and sisters about how USC just steamrolled over Arizona State. Well, we were just fellowshipping. And I guess in some sense you could say, yeah, kind of. Because we sell it short because I'll tell you what, fellowship goes so much deeper than Christians just happening to be together and talking about whatever. You experience fellowship? That means you are actively engaged in a local community of believers and you're experiencing the common life of of believers in such a way that you share of yourself. You disclose with people that you know and love about who you are and, and what you are struggling with and, and, and what, you, what you want in life as you're a follower of Christ. It has nothing to do with consuming. Come to churches a lot of times as consumers. What's it going to do for me? That's, that's anti-fellowship. You come to the fellowship to give rather than to take, to be a contributor rather than a consumer. And their fellowship, they were unified. They were unified. They weren't all just the same 
in their minds or in their exact beliefs about everything. Hey, the, book, the, the, the church in Acts was having to work out some theological issues. But they were unified in the very things that we should be willing to die together for. That Jesus Christ is Lord of all. That he is God. That he died in our place. And that the word of God is true. It is inerrant. It is, it is, it is perfect. It, it changes us. We say Jesus is is, is, is this is Lord of all. And that we trust in his virgin birth, his substitutionary atonement, his death in our place. We die together for those things. Well, they were unified, and they were generous. They didn't say, this is my stuff. Let me put my name on it bef- before I lend it to you so I get it back. They weren't saying that anything they, they had was their own. Now, they didn't join a commune either. They, they were willingly generous as needs arose. They were unified. They were generous. They were inclusive. It wasn't just the popular, good-looking, rich people. Everyone in the body, as any had need. There was not a needy person among them. We read in, in Acts and they were honest how else would you know the needs of your brother or your sister in Christ unless unless you were engaged in common life with a group of people that knew you and you knew them by the way I just want to say if you hear of these things as we're I've been preaching this and you say this is not my experience with the church I have not had this kind of of life with fellow believers all I can say is I am really sorry that that has been your experience God wants so much more for us than a shallow existence or a a drop in and, and then leave and not be connected to each other See, the things they did built fellowship rather than broke fellowship. They built fellowship rather than breaking fellowship because our sin often breaks fellowship. Last week, we, we looked at the breaking of the bread. The breaking of the bread. We, ha- we actually had the privilege of having a table out here and we, we celebrated the Lord's table. We took of the bread and ate it. We chewed pieces of bread. We passed out cups with with grape juice in it and we drank we drank cups of juice and we remembered Jesus Christ risen from the dead we proclaimed the Lord's death until he comes now today you say wait the table's not up here there's no juice no bread I guess we're not remembering Jesus no we're always remembering Jesus always when we gather we got a cross, we got Bibles, and the Bible is just screaming, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And is it so easy, so easy to be a part of a church and somehow miss Jesus? Well, it's a cool group of people to hang out with and, you know, get to hear an inspiring message and kind of get pumped up for the week and, and all that. 
No, no, it's about Jesus. <laughs> By the way, we're going to talk today about prayer. Guess who they were praying to? Jesus. They're praying to Jesus. They're talking to God. And by the way, they, they broke the bread. They, they had meals together, and, then, and, and at their meal, they remembered Jesus Christ. And what is key about this is that they did these things together and they did them often. In fact, if you want to just write this down or just remember it in your head, here, here's what you need to remember about their prayer. By the way, now we've finished the intro. Now we're getting into it, okay? That's the intro, all right? All right here it is. They prayed together often. Together and often. That's easy, right? Everyone can remember that. They prayed together often. Now realize that when you hear prayer, you think, if you're anything like me, you think, wow, um, that's about my individual, private, personal prayer time. Which, by the way, is really awesome. It's really great. You need to have private, personal, individual prayer time. You should do this all the time. You should pray, right? But that's not what this verse is talking about. It's talking about the church praying together often. They devoted themselves. Look at verse 42. This is the key verse that we're going to put our attention to, and we're going to look at some, other verse, some of the other phrases in these verses. They devoted themselves together to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. In verse 44, that all who believed were together. Okay, they were gathering together. And it says that they did this day by day, day after day after day. So they were together often. Okay? Christians need to be together often. Now, you can't separate it out into like individual and group stuff. Like, well, when I pray individually, it's one thing. When I'm in a group, it's another thing. No, you're still the same person both places. So when you're in a group and you're praying, you're still thinking. You've got your own mind. And, and, but you just got to realize that they devoted themselves as a group to God's word and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. And they did so as individuals who were interacting within a community. And so there's a very personal, very personal heart-level experience and aspect to it, obviously. But there is a group aspect to it. There is a community, uh, a corporate aspect that we often miss, which is what this verse is talking about. That we should be praying on a daily basis alone individually between us and God of course and with our household and with our groups that we that we meet with and and as a gathered church and there's so much we could say about prayer we go on and on and on and on about prayer but i want us to point to that verse acts 2:42 and, and see this that they that they prayed together often the devotion literally to the prayers when I read that earlier, it wasn't a typo, it wasn't a, a uh, verbal slip. It was the prayers, plural. What does that mean? What does that signify? And, and, and what can we glean from that? What I want you to see today is, is, the, is the glorious, beautiful relationship of prayer to the health of the church. The glorious, beautiful relationship of prayer to Christ's church and the individuals and the households within it. 
about his privilege. It's a blood-bought privilege to come to God and talk with God and declare our dependence on him and express our praise and bring our needs. They prayed together often. Everyone can remember that, right? Prayed together often. Just those two words, together and often. Help me remember this. Well, how'd they pray? Together and often. Excellent. Okay, so they prayed together often. Um, the prayers. The prayers. Okay, it's plural. And the plural implies regular prayer. That's what the plural is implying here. It's the regular prayer practices of Christian believers that gather together often to pray together. Now, what were they praying? They were praying prayers to God. Probably some Old Testament prayers. Probably the Shema, Deuteronomy 6. Lord our God is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. That's what a good Jew would pray. These are Jews. Prayer is big in the book of Acts. Luke is really big on emphasizing a community committed to prayer. You think of prayer, it's... it's, mentioned one in one form or another in the gospel of matthew 10 times 12 times in mark five times in john but luke in his gospel 19 times and in the book of acts 32 times luke is big on prayer he's really emphasizing a community who prays together he in his gospel emphasized jesus's prayers and now here in the in the book of acts the community of the redeemed the, the elect that God is collecting and, and, and they're coming to God and they're seeking his guidance right they're seeking his guidance they're seeking his direction they're depending upon him declaring their dependence on him and they're not working off of feeling they're not working off of intuition they're working off a of gospel truth as they submit to God they're, they're surrendering themselves to him trusting in the finished work of Christ and they're resting in him like Jesus says in John 15 abide in me my word abide in you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bear fruit through you. What kind of prayers were they, how were they praying and how is it mentioned? Well, Acts chapter 1 verse 14, they waited in Jerusalem and devoted themselves continually to prayer. It says all these with one accord, they were all together, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus. So Jesus' mom was praying for the church, with the church as as they're waiting on the Holy Spirit to come upon them and his brothers as well in chapter 1 verses 24 and 25 they prayed before they chose Judas as replacement Lord which one of these which one of these two people that we think might be the one God made it clear it was Matthias he was numbered with the apostles chapter 3 verse 1 in fact, we're going to look at this next week where this, this lame man that couldn't walk was laid every day at the beautiful gate of the temple. And, and it says that Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. The ninth hour. That's three in the afternoon. Every day at three in the afternoon, they pray. Acts 4.23 through 31 Prayer was the church's reaction to persecution. And get this, they didn't pray that the persecution would stop. They prayed for boldness to preach the word of God. 
Sovereign Lord, they prayed, who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and everything in them, grant to your servants to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hands to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. We know that prayer was a fundamental part of the leadership of the early church, Acts 6-4. They declared their resolve. We will devote ourselves to prayer in the ministry of the word. So it makes sense that the passions of a church devoted to Christ have to do with prayer and the word and remembering Jesus and then the, the body interacting with one another in a, in a giving, caring community. They prayed before they sent people out on missions. They, they took part in these prayers together. Now remember, these are Jews, and, and the primary reference is probably to their appointed times that they prayed together within their new community. But we also know they would have attended the public prayers in the Jewish synagogues. Very interesting thing about the Jewish synagogues, the scattered Jewish synagogues in the communities were called in Greek prosuke, which means literally house of prayer. They called these places houses of prayer. So in the temple in Jerusalem even, the priests would hold a public prayer time every morning after they slaughtered the morning sacrifice, before they offered the incense offering. They'd all pray together. 3 p.m. in the afternoon was the hour of prayer in the temple. Devout Jews would pause and pray. It's not a bad thing to do throughout your day to pause and pray. I had a friend, actually, that would set, he's got, like, some computer program, and it would, like, talk to his watch and set this alarm and blah, 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 so he could pray all these times. Do that if you want. If that helps you remember to pray and to go to God, that would be awesome. The other thing you can do is just pray all the time. And you're like, whoa, whoa. I'm busy but here's the deal this is, this is cool I read a book by a guy named uh, Thomas Kelly called A Testament of Devotion and um, he says this he says you know you need to have a, a practice of, of, of conversing with God talking with God all through your day the idea of like praying without ceasing it's kind of like what Brother Lawrence talked about the Nicholas Herman of Lorraine he, he talked about uh, practicing the presence of God well Thomas Kelly said this he goes look walk and talk and work and live and play with your friends and all the while be carrying on a secret conversation with your Lord like you know a lot of times I'm praying as I'm preaching I'm praying that God will bless you I'm praying that God, that God will do his work through his word you can be praying while you're working you can be praying while you're having a conversation with somebody because you got this secret behind the scenes conversation going on with God that no one else can see but him and you that's pretty awesome but they were actually praying prayers in public together hmm we go well no I'm supposed to be in my closet well they were in the temple they were in their homes praying together they're praying so they go to the, the temple and it's called a house of prayer now they're meeting in Solomon's portico, the porch of Solomon. Josephus describes that place as being 650 feet long, 50 feet wide, columns that were 43 feet tall. They're the big place, a grand place, and they're, the believers are all, are all here, and they're under this portico. It's constructed of square stones that were 33 feet long and 10 feet high. And it's on the eastern side of the temple complex. It, it, then it, the, the, the hill kind of drops sleep, steeply into the Kidron Valley. But they're there. They're meeting there. And they're, what are they doing when they're there? 
They're in a public place. I'm sure it was a bit shady, cool. They're gathered. What are they doing? Having a party? No, here's what they're doing. They're listening to the apostles' teaching. They're doing these things. They're listening to the apostles' teaching. They're fellowshipping. They're sharing their lives. And they're, they're breaking the bread. They're remembering Jesus. And they are praying. And they're doing this in the temple and from house to house. And you know what they did? They transformed that house of prayer into a true house of prayer. Turned the entire place into a house of prayer. Jesus had, had, had said it. He commanded it. Luke 19, 45 and 46. My house shall be called a house of prayer. It's used for all these other things, but people are going to be coming to God through me in this place. You know, transform it. The gospel transformed it. They're praying to Jesus. And by the way, Jesus taught in that same location. The, the week before he was crucified, the whole week before, he's in the temple. And his listeners, Luke 19, 47 and 48 says, hung on every word he said. They're praying together often. What did they pray for? Everything. They prayed for everything. They prayed about everything. They prayed for their leaders. They prayed for the Holy Spirit to be amongst them powerfully. They prayed for sinners to repent. Good thing to pray for, for sinners to repent. They prayed for their mission trips. They prayed for physical safety. They prayed for healing. Now look, you, you come to this place. We're living in America. We're in the West. There's nobody outside with an Uzi waiting for us when we're gone, when we're done. Now, we can't blame ourselves for living in America. Praise God for a safe place to live and that we can come in here without fear. But what would be very easy for us to do, and I think we do read this into the Bible sometimes, well, that's exactly what their gatherings were like. They're kind of sitting here, relaxed. No. Their gatherings were bloody and bruised gatherings. And so their prayers were bloody and bruised prayers. Acts 12, go there. Acts 12. And remember what happened to John the Baptist before the cross? Remember what happened to John the Baptist? His head was cut off, and, 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 and in complete dishonor to God, they put his head on a platter and brought it in all bloody. Look at, look at Acts 12.1. About that time, about that time, and by the way, this is about that time that the, the Christians were first they were first named Christians and called Christians. The believers were first, the disciples were called Christians um, in, that, in, the, in the location of Antioch. And the disciples are, are doing what Christians do. They're sending relief to other churches, other believers. And it says about that time, Acts 12.1, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He laid violent hands on them. So this is a bruised and bloody church. This is not a comfortable church, not a party church. This is a persecuted church. So verse 2 tells us he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Blood was spilled for their faith in Christ. Verse 3, and he saw that it pleased the Jews. So the Jews were glad that Christians' bloods were being spilled. And it says here, verse 4, that he put him in prison and delivered him over to four squads of soldiers. I guess they were afraid of the power of God. 
And it says after the Passover, it was during the unleavened bread feast, after the Passover, he's going to bring him out to the people. He's going to kill Peter after the Passover. Can you imagine what Peter's thinking? Dude, I cut someone's ear off. They're going to cut my head off. And he's not joking. Death was imminent here. What does it say in verse 5? Peter was kept in prison. It wasn't, hey, we're going to take you into custody and we'll take care of you three square meals a day. You can go out in the yard and exercise and it'll be great. We'll make sure you're safe. No. They're probably not even feeding him. It's going to be torture. And he's kept in prison. But, verse 5, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. We'll come to that passage later in a few, probably a few months, but... you know, it's amazing. He, he's kept in prison, and, and, and prayer for him was made to God by the church. They're praying together often, and it was a bloody, bruised church. We just need to, we just need to keep that in mind. So, they prayed all the time. They prayed in times of crisis. They prayed when making decisions. They prayed to establish their leaders. They prayed when repenting. Prayed when saying goodbye because they loved each other so much. And what happened after they prayed? Take a wild guess. What happened after they prayed? What do you think? Everything stayed the same. They went out to eat. No, after they prayed, the amazing things that only God can do happened. Pentecost happened. Earthquakes and evangelism happened. Uh, resuscitation from the dead happened. Healings happened. Miraculous releases from prison happened. There's some amazing stuff going on. And prayer was the common element of their common life together. It was habitual. The whole church prayed. The apostles prayed, the leadership prayed, Peter prayed, Paul prayed, Cornelius prayed, the Jewish women prayed, and they prayed prayer to Jesus together regularly. First Christian martyr, Acts chapter 7, prayers on his lips as he dies. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And, and Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Echoes of Christ on the cross, even. The Christians of Caesarea, Acts 21, they're praying, the Lord's will be done. That's what we pray. We, we, wanna, we want what God wants. They pray together. One more place. Go to Acts 13. Acts 13. Verse 1. There were in the church at Antioch, where the believers were first called Christians, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Manaean, Saul. It says, verse 2, they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. As they were doing this, the Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. A very significant thing here. They were worshiping the Lord and fasting. Literally, they were ministering to the Lord and fasting. Okay? So they, they were so wrapped up in, in worshiping God that they, they, they didn't even take their food, okay? Then look at the next verse, verse 3. 
Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And I think there's a tie-in here between worshiping the Lord, ministering to the Lord, and praying. Because as you're praying, you're ministering to the Lord. As you're praying, you're serving the Lord. As you're praying, you're worshiping God. See, for Luke, prayer was the mark of a true disciple. They prayed together often. They prayed together often. We can pray together often. We should pray together often. We must pray together often. We, we have to pray together often. Uh, if, we're, if we're in this church, if we're in this, this bride of Christ, if we're in this body, if we're in this building of living stones that God is, is, is assembling, we've got to pray together often. You don't need to feel guilty about not praying, by the way, okay? You can start fresh today. You don't have to go, oh, I don't pray enough. You don't have to beat yourself up about not praying all the times you should have prayed. But you can start today and say, you know what? I want to develop a deeper life of prayer. I want to pray with my, I want to pray with my brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, you could say, you know what? I am not experiencing this kind of life that the first church had. And it's, and it's not everyone else's fault. Praise God, God, God open my eyes to this and I'm going to resolve I'm going to decide I'm going to, I'm going to be a part of the church a real part of the church getting the word with other believers I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to start giving of myself instead of consuming I'm going to come with a different mindset I'm not going to come with the mindset of what's in it for me but how can I bless other people how can I bless can you imagine how crazy transformed this place would be if we all came every Sunday or every Wednesday or every time we have a home group or men's study or women's study or whatever and, and we came and, and, our, and our prayer was this here's our prayer Lord help me bless people through me bless people through me um, they pray together often we can pray together often we can develop a deeper life uh, of prayer in the body by the way believers pray Believers pray. Prayer is to spiritual life what breathing is to physical life. Prayer is when you offer up your, your desires to God for everything that's agreeable with his will in the name of Jesus Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit, confessing your sins and acknowledging his mercies very gratefully and thankfully because believers pray. Octavius Winslow said, there exists not a more undoubted evidence of a renewed nature than prayer. So if you're regenerated, God has converted you, it's, you're going to pray. Just like you're breathing right now. Okay? You're breathing right now. You're just breathing because you're alive. You're alive in Christ, you're going to pray. Your prayer is like breathing spiritually. Dead people don't pray. So if you're not a believer, you're, not, you're just saying words you got to know the Lord Jesus. you gotta, you got you to know him. The, the, the absence of prayer, Winslow says, is the unmistakable evidence of death. Its existence, a palpable and positive evidence of life. Because prayer is the most vital, spiritual, and pure proof of the indwelling spirit in the soul. He says prayer is the spiritual life of the renewed soul. You're born again, you're regenerated, you're going to pray. 
But we have so many mindless pursuits, don't we? I engage in so many mindless pursuits. We got to replace mindless activities with mindful pursuits. Jesus, Jesus told them a parable, Luke 18, 1, that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. You don't want to lose heart? Pray. You're losing heart? Are you prayerless? Pray scripture a lot. Pray scripture a lot. You can't go wrong with praying scripture. Seek Jesus in the scriptures. I'm going to give you a, a, an acrostic about prayer, okay? I, I want to give you a, I want to take the word pray, P-R-A-Y, and, and give you something that maybe will help you as you pray, okay? Number one, P, praise God. Start with praise to God. Lord, you're great. Lord, you're awesome. You're holy. You're righteous. You're good. You're just. You're merciful. You're gracious. Praise God. R, remember the gospel. It is so easy for us to just run to prayer with the requests and not acknowledge God in praise and not remember the gospel truth by which we are even able to pray. Jesus bought your privilege to pray with his blood. Remember the gospel. Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. Look that up later. Read, write that down. Paul prays the gospel for the believers. It's an awesome prayer. So P, praise God. R, remember the gospel. And A, admit your need and admit it with other believers. We're so dependent on you, Lord, even for our breath. Don't just pray when you're having problems, but pray especially when you're having problems because God uses your problems to remind you to pray. You're praying with somebody, that's good. If someone tells you something that, that's going on in their life, stop right then and pray with them. Don't say, I'll pray, with you, pray for you later. Pray with them right now. Bear one another's burdens. You gotta admit your need to God. Galatians 6 2. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. You bear the burdens by bringing it to the throne of grace. Help them in life. So praise God, remember the gospel, admit your need, and why? Yield control to God. Surrender to God's sovereign plan. His are way better than ours. We're in a war. It's a bloody battle, and we don't shed blood for our faith. And we could say praise God, but we do have bruises. And they might not be physical, but, but you have burdens. You have things. Maybe they're very, very self-centered. Maybe they're not. But you have burdens. You have, you have bruises. You have hardships. And, and you've got to take those and with other believers, lift them up to the throne of grace to receive mercy. Find grace to help in time of need. The core message here is that you can pray because of Jesus. You can pray because of Jesus. What the church do? They prayed because of Jesus and gave glory to God, and the numbers continually increased because more and more people were being added to the church who were believers in Jesus. They became believers, and it was God's choice to bring them into the church, and then it was the joyful duty of the church and, and, and privilege to welcome those God has accepted, and, and they, they prayed together often. They prayed together often. Every time you have a, a thought that comes into your mind, you think of a friend, pray for him. You got a bad thought? Pray that God would take it away. Pray that God would heal you from that. Pray that God would, would, would perish the, the thoughts that are, are, are wrong and not with the truth. Tell yourself the truth in prayer. 
bring it all over to God in prayer that's what praying without ceasing really is I think whenever you think about something it's an opportunity to pray really whenever you think about anything it's an opportunity to pray think of it as breathing what did Jesus do for us well while we were still sinners Christ died for us and he initiated reconciliation with his enemies so that we could pray so we could come to him so that we could come boldly to the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need as Matthew read earlier I'm going to close with a story that just happened yesterday, actually. I was blown away. I've never seen this happen before. We were at the men's retreat with the guys. And my friend Josh Kirstein was preaching the word. And in the middle of his sermon, the fire alarms go off over the entire camp. And we're looking out going, well, false alarm. Someone runs into the room and says, everybody out onto the grass field, which is about, I don't know, 300 yards away. And we're all looking at each other like, really? <laughs> but we went. They, they go, no, you have to go now. So we all go out on the, on the field, and as we're walking out, the other group that's sharing the camp with us was walking out as well. They were bef- uh, ahead of us. And when I go to Christian camps, I'm a very selfish man. I think of the other groups that are sharing the camp as a nuisance. They're, they're in our way. They're, they're, they're too noisy, whatever. And as Josh was preaching yesterday morning, they were doing like, the loudest Hume Lake kind of games you could ever do. And it was very unnerving. You know, he was having to preach through it. And I'm thinking, this is really annoying. And as we're walking out the door, I started to think to myself, and I know God gave me the thought, I thought, we need to bless that group somehow. God wants us to bless that group somehow. We're walking out there, and we get out there, and, and um, Josh, Josh looks at me, and he goes, should I keep preaching? I'm like, Absolutely. So he goes, okay, everybody. He says it to both groups. Everybody, it was, the other group was like a youth group, a bunch of uh, guys and gals and, and from, a, from a church. And um, he says, hey, we're, gonna, we're just going to keep on going. This is, you know, we're just going to keep going in the middle of the sermon here. And so all the guys sit down, and then their group just sits down, and we're just all together. It was, a, it was beautiful. None of us knew each other from the two groups. And we're just hearing the word together. We're just hearing the word. And as Josh is preaching, this fire alarm keeps going off like every two minutes behind us and every time I was just praying Lord whatever you want whatever you want let us be a blessing to this, this, this group and uh, I kept looking over and they were just some of them were smiling and stuff so afterwards they, well they finally say well you can go back so he's like well I guess we'll do part three back in the room so we go back he wanted to, to finish in there and so they, everyone starts leaving and, and I'm standing there and I really wanted to talk to some people in this group so I, I look over and there's like six of them left and I walk over to them and I said, hey, where are, you guys, where are you guys from? And they said, we are from La Roca de Salvacion in Boyle Heights, the Rock of Salvation Church in Boyle Heights out in L.A. I'm like, no way. My dad was an L.A. policeman for 30 years and he used to take us to Boyle Heights all the time to go eat at, at El Tipiac restaurant. They're like, our church is two blocks away. Like, we were like instant family. I guess, we got, I guess we got bonded by the food, right? But really, it was Jesus bonding us together in that, in that moment. And they said to me, they said, would you pray for our sister here that's having some troubles? I had no idea any of their names. I knew her name. I, they told me her name. But I didn't know what the deal was, what the troubles were. We just all gathered in a little huddle, and we prayed. We just prayed in the name of Jesus because of his shed blood. And, and, and it was awesome. It was an awesome moment. But isn't it interesting that God will put us in those kind of situations and we might not even see it. Me, my sinful self, is they're, they're in our way. 
But wouldn't it be awesome if God opened up our eyes to the people that we're associated with at Grace that we need to pray together often? Can you imagine how we would glorify God through lives transformed by the gospel when we did that? Four weeks of this, right? And we're gonna go into some, into some healing next week. But it's the word of God. It's, it's the caring, sharing fellowship. It's, it's the breaking of the bread, remembering Jesus, and it's the prayers. It's the prayers. Worship team's coming up, and I'll read what Matthew read earlier. Hebrews chapter four. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Impeccable on the way in, impeccable on the way out. He's perfect. He's our sinless, sovereign Savior. And so it says, verse 16, let us therefore with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy. Oh, how we need mercy. That we would receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Lord God, we thank you that Jesus bought our right to pray. Lord, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for us. Thank you, Lord, the privilege, the privilege of praying, pouring our hearts out to you. We admit that we don't like to pray, that we don't want to pray often, and that we don't love to pray, and that we don't love to die to ourselves. Lord God, please put in us a desire for prayer that comes from seeing Jesus, the crucified one, and savoring his merciful love together often. And we pray in Christ's name, amen.